Hey guys, this is Kurt. And Logan. And we're here to talk about Battle Bards. I thought we were here to talk about how you're a terrible father. Pimping out your son. What? 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 Nothing. <laughs> okay. No, Battle Bards is great fantasy audio. I want to know that. Only things I care about are cartoons, balloons, Star Wars, candy, old people's smiles, dogs, Pokemon, video games, fireflies. Do you even know what those are? Existentialist paintings. How do you even know how to say that? The sound of forts, <laughs> ninjas, and electronics. Okay, that's a lot to process. Farts? Really? Oh, but check this out. Lord Ardok is a wooden fortique symbol. Bida octo mon farste outwis mon kasabu haudon fu chi tang gali asparos. Ooh, scary! And this. Ooh, impressive. You can't deny this, though. Noal na o lapireta ikarino ilasa zorge, lapilasa do lape turbs benas. Okay, that's very cool. Okay, Logan. So how much would you pay for that awesome audio? Thirteen point two pesos. There's no such thing as point two pesos. Fifteen hundred yen. Five hundred pinks. Republic credits. That's not even real. That's Star Wars, Logan. Well, let me tell you. You go to battlebars.com. You sign up for an account. And not only do you get that premium auto, but you can get a little something from us also. With the 10 and $25 packages, you get one free track with MFGCast1 as your coupon code. Buy a $50 or $100 package and get five free tracks with the code MFGCast2. That's a half of an album for free just for using that coupon code. Could it be any easier? Buy the $150 and $300 packages. Not only do you get most of Battle Bards fantasy audio, soundscapes, music, sound effects, etc., but you also get 10 free tracks with coupon code MFGCast3. A full album for free for using a coupon code from us. You're welcome. I'll just buy that great audio right now. Wait, but you have to you have to ask your parents permission before you buy. This is the MFG cast. Hey guys, Kurt here, your host for today's interview. On um, the last interview, you just heard me interview James D'Amato about Dungeon Dome, and we've got another great interview for us here today. He writes for Tribality.com. He has an award-winning module for 5e and is the co-host of Whelmed, the Young Justice Files podcast. We'd like to thank Rich Howard for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me on. No problem. It's funny because we're friends on Facebook, and yet 
I don't really know anything about you. So I thought, you know, I thought you maybe we should actually get to know each other before we really get into the whole... The people that I know that know you, they talk very highly of you. So um, having you come on and talk about, you know, some of the things that you do, because mainly I wanted to work on talking to you about the writing side of things. But then when I came to, when we came to talk about what we wanted to talk about, you know, there was a lot of other things that you were kind of mentioning too, that I was like, man, we should really just delve into who is Rich Howard. So a lot of times we like to do, and it's, primarily something that a lot of people like to do when they interview somebody they like to go to the beginning so why don't you just give me a little synopsis of how you started in your gaming life and then where you've kind of managed to come until today sure way back in the mysterious days of 1977 uh might have been 78 i can never remember i was seven or eight years old my mom used to make my brother take me along with him to his friend scott's house whenever he went to go play D&D. And they would sit me in front of this pinball machine that was, they'd rigged it so you didn't need quarters for it. So I just played that all the time. But of course, eventually I wanted to play. So they tried to figure out what they could give me that would be the least disruptive. So they gave me a first level elf wizard with a sleep spell. I just remember bouncing up and down in the chair, like wanting to cast my spell and be a part of the situation. And they were just like, no, 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 this isn't the time. But at some point, the whole team like kicked this door open, and there were like 16 goblins in this room, and they were armed to the teeth. And I was like, I want to cast my spell. And they were like, okay, yeah, that'd be good right now. So I, uh, I crit rolled my hit dice on the, uh, on the sleep spell and knocked all 16 goblins asleep, and uh, that was it. I wanted to play the rest of my life. It was, uh, it was pretty amazing. The table went up in a big uproar, and yeah, it was fantastic. And then uh, a couple years later, my dad, uh, when I was 10, my dad bought me the basic Redbox D&D. Um, when I was 13, I saved up my allowance and bought the one of the, it was either first or second edition. I think it might have been first edition of Champions. Um, yeah, and I was, I was off to the races at that point. So, so that's where that started. Uh, been gaming off and on all my life. But uh, I didn't get into the professional end of it until not very long ago. I have a couple of different degrees and have done uh, a pretty wide range of professional jobs in my day that I've loved, um, but none of them had to do with writing or gaming. It was always a hobby until, um, gosh, I'm not sure when it was, four or five years ago, I made a contact with Christopher uh, with Christina Stiles um, from Christina Stiles Presents and Misfit Studios, and she's just done a bunch of editing and a bunch of cool gaming stuff and worked with her on a product called Bite Me, the gamer's guide to lycanthropes that came out a while ago for Pathfinder. And then fifth edition came out. I started doing some work on my own website uh, at gameschangelives.com. And then uh, one of the editors at Tribality, uh, Sean Ellsworth, he was pulling my stuff from from uh, my website for his campaign. And so he invited me on to Tribality to do a couple articles. And they... Um, they did pretty well, and so they invited me to be a permanent fixture over there. So I wrote for them for, gosh, about a year, year and a half, maybe eighty or hundred articles on two different two different columns there, and uh, that was it. And started getting got on some podcasts, and geez, now I feel like I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere I want to be. And that's 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 the thing you want to be doing. So, when you first started to you know to write, is it is it something that just happened by chance, or is it something that you were like finally like, 
okay, this needs, I need to be writing about this now because this is the time of my life where I should be doing this. Um, actually, I mean, I've been interested in writing since I was very young, uh, to creative writing classes in college, um, in, um, in community college and then transferred to UC Santa Cruz for my first degree. And I had focused on biology there. I have a degree in marine biology. And so, but the writing had always been a kind of an aside, but about, oh gosh, right after I met my wife, uh, 11, 12 years ago now, um, I still wanted to do a lot of writing, but I just wasn't doing it. My wife called me out on it because she's good at that. And, um, and so I started working on my first uh, novel, actually. I started, so I, I was writing a young adult novel and kind of going through that process and um, started, uh, went to a lot of conferences for beginning writers and uh, attended World Fantasy when it was here in San Diego and then also again in Toronto and um, met a lot of writers in the industry and a lot of gaming people, which were attending the World Fantasy Writers Conference. And it was actually... Um, I was, I was chatting with a publisher and editor from um, Pathfinder, from Paizo, James Sutter. And somebody had asked him while I was standing there, he was like, well, where do you get new writers? And he's like, places like this. And I was like, why did this never occur to me? Like, I've been spending all of this time learning the, the theory and concept of writing and trying to get like one, one book published over years. Why am I not just game writing? And so um, I started doing that on my own for my own, you know, just website and throwing out ideas and things like that. But I had no idea how to like, how do you break into an industry? How do you do stuff? Was I even worth it? Like, you know, that idea that you want to do something so bad, like the industry means so much to me. I've been doing it for four decades and it's been such a part of my life. Like you want to participate so bad and contribute something so you know a positive to an industry that's had such an influence on you you want it so bad that you don't even try and start it because you don't want someone to tell you that you're terrible at it <laughs> you know what i mean so um so yeah so i i just started doing you know some work on my own websites and it was really christina styles who kind of you know she had a kickstarter that i participated in and as part of that kickstarter i was able to help her um on that uh that bite me that like canthrop's guide mm -hmm. And I spent years and years running and playing Werewolf the Apocalypse. And so, like Canthropes, I have a soft spot in my heart. So, but she introduced me to some other people. And then suddenly I was working with, you know, Owen Stevens and just a bunch of people from the um, Paizo Superstars as well. Mike Wellam and I worked on a project together called Story Feats for Pathfinder. And then I just, I, basically, I, I had the contacts through Christina to just be on Twitter and other social media sites. And then when somebody said, like... Owen Stevens just said, I've got a project. I want to, I don't have time to do this project. I wish somebody would do this project. And I was like, I'll do the project. Just what's the project. And it ended up being story feats, which could not have been more perfect for me to combine gaming and storytelling concepts and tropes into a gaming supplement. So basically just saying, I will do, I'll give me whatever you want to give me and I will do the best job that I can possibly do on it and that's all you can do and, and see what happens. But really it didn't I didn't start getting up in front of people until I was writing for Tribality and then I had heard about the uh, Dungeon Masters block. They had just started. Uh, Chris and Mitch had just started their podcast and they had had a few guests on but I found out later on that their guests were actually just people they knew already and I had uh, shot them an email and said hey look I, I have a column over here and I talk about aquatic gaming so I use my marine biology degree as kind of a platform in gaming to talk about new environments, new monsters, 
new threats, new things that you can do and, and that it, they're, how you can run aquatic themed games. And they were like, uh, sure. Yeah, sure. Come on up. Come on the podcast. And so I came on, I had a full outline. <laughs> Mitch was like, I just thought you were into underwater games. I didn't think I was going to be like going back to college. Cause like we were talking about everything from, you know, underwater lakes and hydrothermal vent fields and, you know, environmental or, uh, you know, evolutionary biology and just all this stuff in this podcast. And, and they really enjoyed it. So that just kind of broke the ice. So suddenly I, you know, was getting invited on and, and felt com- more comfortable asking to go on various podcasts. And um, now I'm a podcaster myself. So that's kind of how it goes. Basically, per- I just participated. Participate as much as you can and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting the feelers out there. It not only is it challenges it challenges you, but it challenges the people that you're talking to. Like you said, you know they weren't they yeah. weren't thinking about all the things that have to do because when you when you write about well when you're a a DM sometimes even when you're a character you'll write basic things. You know, like if yep. you're a DM, you'll say, okay, this is the land of Etheria. These are the gods that live with, within it. This is the um, the setting within it. These are the rules of this, you know, of the different cities and stuff like that. A lot of times you right. don't, a lot of times, a lot of people might not think, okay, if I were to go into this town and tell somebody that this other person is stealing from this other person, what would happen? You know, there's a lot of details right. that get left out that, um, it seems like people like you, the, you kind of pull up the whole, okay, you know, I understand this is where we're at, but there's, you know, a, B, C, D, E, and F that you're missing, you know, mm-hmm. especially with the underwater mm-hmm. thing, you know, it, it seems like, you know, you have a passion for that, you know, with mm-hmm. the, the degree or whatever. And then you're also working on these different things, you know, that seems to be, you know, one of your favorite things to work on. So, you know, when it comes to working on something like that, do you, you know, it sounds like you delve into every last bit of, you know, what needs to be set up and what, you know, the things that are going to be happening and, you know, try not to miss something. So is it, is it something when you go into it, you think, okay, I'm going to, I focus on this species and within this species, I'm not only going to give it a name, but I'm also going to give it its traits. I'm also going to give it its, you know, weaknesses and uh, strength, just like, just like any normal you know, write up would have in you know in any, mm-hmm. in any kind of book, but also do you look at okay, are they sensitive to light? Are they, you know, if you put them in a cage, you know, what would happen? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done a, a lot of writing across the board. I, I do some monster creation stuff, but if you're talking about like, it's what I talk, I talk about on my podcast a lot um, about digging deeper, about don't take just that first thing that comes to your mind because that first thing is going to be a cliche and that's okay. It's just what pops into your head. It's the first thing that comes into your head. Also probably the second and third things that pop into your head will also be cliches, right? But if you keep digging a little deeper, ask some more questions, change what you're looking at around a little bit, shift it around from a different direction a little bit, you will find more and more interesting ways to present monsters, characters, archetypes, and, and adventures, right? And NPCs, you know, having NPCs that are, that are, um, unexpected. So one of the things that, um, that I love about the aquatic, uh, an aquatic setting, one of the many things, but if you're going to do an NPC that is a sentient race or a monster, it, it could look horrifying, like a horrifying monstrous thing, but that doesn't mean that it's evil or even not friendly, <laughs> 
right? So changing expectations going underwater with the things that I, I think of is, is really important. So taking a deep look at, at what your character's motivations are, what the, what you're, why are you writing the adventure? Is it, if you're just kicking doors down and killing orcs and taking their gold and that's what you want to do and that's your goal and that's your through line, then no problem. But you could take that and make it something a little bit more interesting or deeper or give some more um, hooks and ideas um, for your players. You know, if you, if you make everything a nail, then everybody wants a hammer, right? So, yeah. So when it, when I created, so for Alchemist for 5e, you had mentioned, which is a, which is a, it was an article series I was writing with for Tribality. I had created an Alchemist class with uh, a handful of archetypes. And we, I was doing the, the archetypes as like additional articles, you know, for Tribality. So you could use it all together and send it out and people play tested it and gave me some feedback. And then we took those six archetypes and the core class and we combined them together into um, a production for Tribality. And then I added a seventh archetype just for the book so people who had seen the stuff online um, could get the upgraded stuff, but they could also get something new. Um, One of the things that I got complimented on about that was that I don't just talk about like, oh, here's the mechanic, right? X plus Y equals Z. Uh, It was... How do you how do you flavor these things? How do you flavor spells to be the kind of thing that feeds into the story that you want to tell with your alchemist, right? So, if you make an artificer style alchemist and you have the find familiar spell, then how do you tweak that to make that appear to be part of your theme in your archetype, right? So um, that's the. D&D is great for mechanics, and it didn't do, the 5th edition in particular, I wish they'd spend a little bit more time talking about reflavoring. You get some great podcasts out there like the Dungeon Master's Block, um, Total Party Thrill, those kinds of podcasts that talk about concepts and ideas and, you know, how do you multi-class a character and then to get a particular theme that you're looking for and reflavor a shield spell to actually be a physical shield, you know, or... They did a, a total party thrill. Did a Captain America style build where they had levels of Eldritch, uh, levels of um, uh, the character had Eldritch Blast, and I can't remember if they actually had Warlock levels or they got the initiate magic initiate feat. But they had the Eldritch Blast, and they flavored the Eldritch Blast to basically be a shield because it's force damage and can hit multiple targets, and it just does all the mechanical stuff you wanted to do, and you could just make it be some, look like something else. That's the kind of thing I got used to doing when I was playing the Hero System and Champions when I was a kid, and that I apply to a lot of a lot of games that I do. And I think that thought process goes into my writing as well. What's the bigger picture? What's the story? What's the theme? You know. So when you're when you're writing, like say somebody gives you a subject item, and maybe it's something that you don't know a lot about. Is it something where you stick to what you think is? gonna be the thing or do you try to challenge yourself in a in a way where you can kind of break it down to make it make it different you know because a lot of people when they see a they will kind of find ways to describe a but they don't go outside of the box is there some ways in your head or is there certain techniques that you use that you're like okay i need to this is a good way for me to see it at different angles yeah that's a good question um I think I instinctively try and break everything down into its component parts and shift it around and look at it a different way. 
I'm that's how I am as a player and as a, as a game master as well. So, you know, if, if I'm playing a player, I want to have an emotional experience. I play, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rainmaker storyteller character. I'm a, I'm a player who likes to help the DM tell the or GM tell the story they want to tell. Right. And I want to have an emotional experience. So I will make choices that are appropriate for my character um, that will also move the story forward or support someone else's storyline that may not be the best choice for my personal character or will lead to some interesting story arcs for me. I played in a, I played in a campaign where it started off as an accident, but like we were all made our own characters separately. We didn't have a character creation day, and I was a lawful good cleric of Poseidon, and all of my party members were chaotic, neutral, uh, self-mutilating warlocks and necromancers. And I'm like... Oh, well, this is interesting. <laughs> and uh, this, okay, all right, what am I going to do with this? So I had a couple choices. I could go the stereotype way and say, oh, I'm going to be, you know, lawful stupid, and I'm going to be like, this. you guys should change, and I'm here to save you or whatever. Or I could see where the story takes us, hear, listen to what they have to say, and see how it might change me. Um, it ended up being a fascinating story arc where, you know, I ended up having to kill a, a friend of mine whose wife had become a vampire and had beguiled him and I couldn't free him. And, uh, I ended up having to kill him to free him, which caused me all kinds of trauma. And I slowly started shifting my alignment from lawful good. It ended up being neutral good. And then I started getting into chaotic good over time, over the time frame, which as I thought about it was appropriate because in D and D fifth edition, they don't, your god of Poseidon, say, is a chaotic neutral god, but I was a lawful good paladin, or lawful good uh, uh, cleric. They don't restrict your alignment, which is nice, because this made a really interesting story, because I was heading in the direction of chaotic neutral from lawful good, and I had this amazing story arc to take me to that place, where I eventually had a complete breakdown and literally walked into the ocean. <laughs> and then because I, that's just what ended up happening it was amazing and, and as a player I was just I loved every minute of it and as a character he was absolutely broken right and then we had a plan uh, unfortunately the campaign uh, didn't continue but the plan was as as other characters gained quite a few more levels and I was able to come back in my character was going to have gone through a massive you know personal change and literally like walked out of the ocean chaotic neutral with crazy beard face you know old man with the crazy you know old man of the sea thing going on and you know so that's what I'm looking for like I could have stuck with my alignment and said this is what my alignment is this is the picture I have for my character and and I'm going to stick with this from level one to level 20 or I could say no character worth their salt in any story that's has that's a character driven drama has the character be the same at the end of a story as they are at the beginning right if you're talking about a if you're talking about a thriller or a mystery like say a, a Sherlock Holmes or a, a Tony Hillerman novel, you're not going to see a lot of character development from the from the detective standpoint because that's kind of what the point is of those stories. But if you're talking about a character developed, a character driven story arc, if your character is the same at the end as they are at the beginning, they're not going to be as compelling. You know, Han Solo is not the same at the end of Jedi as he was at the beginning of New Hope. So. I, I want my characters to experience those things as well. So I think I instinctively want to look at the 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 opposite angles to uh, a perspective to see what it looks like. I may not take it, but I'll immediately try to go for the least cliche thing I can think of and then see where that takes me. 
as long as it doesn't disrupt the game too much or you know that kind of thing because i don't i'm not a big believer in just being chaos for chaos sake it just doesn't doesn't fly with me so yeah yeah i think it just goes with the old adage know your players know your gm you know it's you, you it it's a detriment to you yeah. if you decide to go one way without anyone else's consent you know regardless if you know if it's in game or not you know if you're gonna do something that's completely out of the ordinary that it would be something your character would not do unless something affected it in that kind of way you're basically dooming yeah. it for failure yeah it's funny because I, I was on another podcast we were doing a, a fifth edition actual play and and they're like what do you want to play and i was like oh, i'll play a cleric and the the person running the game was like who purposefully plays a cleric no one purposefully plays a cleric i'm like I'm always a, I'm always a big fan of the kind of the leader support classes. I love bards. I love clerics. I love doing cool things for myself with my story arc. But I love buffing other people and watching them do cool stuff and be very excited about what's going on. That 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 helps me a lot. Even if it's just a simple bless spell or some kind of boost, um, watching them make a hit because of something I help them do and they get super excited about it, it makes mm-hmm, me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. if that's what you like to do, you know, you know you're. Should always go for that, you know. Go, go where the heart. Yep. Go where the heart tells you, because usually that's where the best bet is. Well, you had mentioned to me something about a mutual friend of ours, right? You know Taylor Labresh. You betcha. Yeah. So I mean, you had said something about Taylor Labresh to me. How do you know Taylor? We've been friends for a little bit now. I'm trying to think of the first. I to tell you the truth, I can't even remember how exactly we how exactly we met. I don't know. I probably just something on Twitter where he. Was talking Probably. Yep, talking That's about his love of RPGs yeah. and I you know I find him fascinating you know and uh, yeah he's a yeah guy. exactly and we just started talking and actually just was able to meet him for the first time in February um, he lives in Minnesota I live in Wisconsin we actually met at uh, at a con and uh, was able to play or whatever but um, I think I think nice. the reason why Taylor and I get along so well is because we're very similar in ways. One of our jokes at this local con that we were at is uh, Taylor said, "I'm a baby who loves rules," and I was like, "That's totally me." You know, it's like anytime I see something going wrong, I'm like, "No, you can't do that. That's wrong." You know, <laughs> even, even to the point where my son does that, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, I gotta stop that. I can't. I can't police everybody." You know, it's not. It's nothing yeah. in a bad way. It's just, oh no, there's nothing like watching your kids doing the stuff you do, and you're going, "Oh god." Yeah, yeah, terrible. exactly. Yeah, that, that's the side that. of me I don't want you yeah. to see. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Taylor and I met online as well, and then we met in person at Gen Con last yep. year. Yep. I think at last year at the Ennies, I think. Um, yeah, I just ran into him. It was hilarious. I got this great picture of him. He just got this ear-to-ear smile on his face. And the whole week, I don't think I saw it drop off his face the entire weekend. <laughs> he was so happy to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but he and I are now working on a, on a project together, actually, a Powered by the Apocalypse game. He's very, he's very big on the Powered by the Apocalypse system, and I'm only just becoming more familiar with it myself. There's some great games out there. Headspace by Mark Richardson and Masks by Brendan Conway. And there's some great great games out there and people have been asking me for a long time whether or not I was going to do like a fifth edition campaign setting for aquatic stuff and that kind of thing and I've I've written a lot of stuff on tribality you can go over to my from the depths column and find a ton of material for a fifth edition in fact I have campaign outlines I have whole campaign skeletons and outlines uh, there to just run a game yourself with a lot of races and classes and recently I was on um, the uh, tabletop babble 
was it oh, the Don't Split the Podcast Network? They have a new they have a new actual play, and I ran an all aquatic underwater game with uh, James and Tricasso and Darcy Ross and Aram Vardian and Dan Dillon, and it was great. They had a great time, and there's a lot of stuff there that you can look for. But there's something about D and D. There was a game I wanted to make, and D and D couldn't let me make it, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. And it wasn't until I started playing Headspace and started playing Masks where I was starting to see mechanics that were actually reflective of the game that I wanted to write. And so um, Taylor Labresh was part of the conversation. Um, uh, Richard Crutes Landry, who is uh, from the or- origamigaming.com, I think is origamigaming.com. He's fantastic. He lives, he lives here in San Diego. So he, uh, the three of us started getting together and brainstorming, and we came up with this concept for this game. It's called Descent into Midnight, and it is an all-aquatic game. We call it a, an all-aquatic-themed game that explores the depths of the sentient mind. So it is focused on uh, a lot of teamwork, psionics. Um, it's not a magical system, or not a mag- magical world. It's not a high-tech world. Well, it's, it, it is a high-tech world. We're calling it aquapunk. But instead of having like surface level technology underwater that wouldn't normally develop, it's actually all advanced biotechnology and psionics. So it's an advanced culture, but the advancement doesn't look the way that you would think that it would look on, say, Earth and, you know, like a Shadowrun game or something like that. And that's been fantastic. We've been having a good time. So we're going to be doing some play tests of that at Gen Con as well. That's awesome. Um, I actually met uh, Richard during a uh, mask campaign that Taylor ran for uh, Lawful Good Gaming. So an- oh, right. another another great guy. And and that's the thing about, about just putting your foot in the water and talking to awesome people like you, Rich, and just finding people online. It's like the community is just so great to where... And I think I become became aware of you, Rich, from Taylor because he's like you know he, Gen Con last year he had that conversation. He's like I was able to sit with you know with uh, Rohit from Gamers Plane and talk to him for a little bit, and then he was able to have a yeah. conversation with you. And he he said he's like I th- that was like one of the one of my most favorite nights ever. Yeah, it was a great night. Ro, Ro from uh, from Gamers Plane's fantastic guy too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great guy, and uh, you know, it's just a couple more things I'd like to gush about Taylor. It's just he's helped us out uh, so much. Like we've had him on. Me and him actually created a uh, small game as we did it did it for a little as for an episode or whatever. But he's just one of those guys that, uh, like you, Rich, just has a passion for it. You know, and that's one of the things that draws me, especially to this podcast, because it's like. You know, a lot of people probably think, okay, why are you sitting, you know, sitting at home, you know, seven o'clock on a, you know, on a nice afternoon like this, you could be doing something, you know, could be outside gathering the sun. And I'm like, no, I want, I want to talk with some wonderful people and, you know, just the community itself is just so amazing. And, and you're, you're able to, you know, catch glimpses of things that you see in yourself and things that challenge yourself. Um, I was just listening. I don't really like to listen to other interviews before I interview the person I'm interviewing, but I did listen to your episode on Talking Tabletop. Oh, yeah. And noticed a couple of things, you know, it, and it. Uh, this is kind of behind the scenes. I, you know, I had 
originally told you that I was like, well, I just kind of like to go up the top of my head and just kind of go that way. Well, you're you're very, you like to be prepared. You like to have that detailed version of something. And I said, I thought to myself in the way of, and I think I told you this in the way of a good DM. It's like you got to know your players. So it's like, it's a detriment to me to say, you know what, I'm just going to do it the way I always do it because that's the way I do it. You know, you're taking your time. You're taking time out of your busy schedule to come on and talk to us. So I thought, you know what, I can take you know, a half an hour out of my, you know, out, out of my lunch break at work and just come up with some stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's always nice to talk to, you know, people like you, people like Taylor, people like Rich, people like Quinn Wilson. Yeah, I mean, Quinn's it's it, James D'Amato, yeah. you know, just all these creative minds that just have this great view on, you know, what they can do for the community of gaming, but also to make it better. Yeah. So what do you, what, what other things do you do to challenge yourself to get better at those kind of things? Oh, gosh. That's a really good question. I feel like I'm constantly pushing myself in the gaming industry part of it. God, it's a really good question. Well, I have to tell you, like, I, I mean, I've been thinking about like, wow, man, would I do a podcast? I don't know how to edit and I don't know technical stuff. And I'm not a, I don't know, I'm not a sound man, engineer or anything like that. But I was like, I like to talk and I have things to say, but I just don't, I just couldn't figure out what I would do a podcast about. And now I have a podcast, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it came around because I, again, this whole idea of participating, participate positively in the community and you never know what opportunities are going to come wandering by. And in this particular case, I was supporting a thing that I already love a lot, which is an animated series called Young Justice. And, uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of comics in general, but DC comics specifically, uh, and a big fan of this TV series, which is one of the best written things that has been on TV in decades that people don't know about, uh, that some people don't know about. And they were have they got canceled after two seasons, but the the, the story is so tightly written that there are there are for, foreshadowing in the first episode of the first season that's telling you things that happen at the end of the second season. You know that's how tightly written everything is, and. Um, so it had been off the air for about five years, and um, there were a lot of campaigns to try to get it back on the air. But the one that ended up being successful was uh, the hashtag keep binging YJ uh, hashtag on uh, telling people to binge it on Netflix and get their numbers up because they finally got the second season of Young Justice on at the time. And so people were binging it left and right, and I was part of that support, uh, the support of that hashtag. But what I would do is, is I would binge it myself, and then I would put little non-spoilery pieces of trivia up about each episode like oh did you see that picture in the background that happened to be in this episode you know that person is from the justice society you know originally appeared in the 1940s and blah 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 so there's just all of these details that happen you know in each of these episodes and and as i was doing this and and people were you know finding out about the show and and watching it they were asking me questions um eventually somebody said Rich, you should start a podcast about this. And um, so I threw it out there. I was like, does anybody want me to do a podcast about this? And uh, Caleb Guillombardo from um, the RPG Academy was like, dude, let me help you do this, because he was a big fan as well. And then uh, we decided we were going to do it. We took six months to prep. We had about 14 episodes in the can before we aired. We got original music. We got our segments set up. We had set up interviews before we even aired. We had set up interviews with um, Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti, the showrunners of the show. But about, and we figured by doing this, by doing an episode by episode breakdown of each of the episodes and talk about the 
the foreshadowing and, and use it as a springboard to talk about writing and what you could learn about the creative process from the show and, and talk about the DC history they fold in and doing all of this stuff, we figured we would help maybe boost the signal enough that maybe we might get a third season. No one ever gets a third season. Like, it happens so rarely, right? Arrested Development, maybe, and then, like, it's just pretty rare. And so, I mean, we were hoping, but it ends up, like, about three weeks after we started airing, Warner Brothers announced that they were giving it a third season. And so as soon as that happened, unfortunately, Greg and Brandon and a whole bunch of the staff for the show got on interview lockdown, so we couldn't actually get them on the show. We've since been able to get, uh, we've since had some fantastic voice actors on the show. Crispin Freeman, who's a voice actor on the show, but he's also a mythology scholar. And he came on and talked for like a two hours, like a, a full two-parter talking about Eastern and Western comparative mythology. And yeah, it's just fantastic. We had Quinn Wilson. You mentioned Quinn Wilson. Um, he's an anthropology student and his brother's a linguist. So he came on to one of our bonus discussion episodes to talk about linguistics and the use of linguistics and storytelling and character development. Yeah, so the show's more than just, you know, like a fan cast about a, about a TV show. It's we really use it to talk about a wide range of things, including gaming. In fact, we just aired a four-part Masks actual play where we were playing the Young Justice characters between seasons one and two, and it was run by Brendan Conway, who wrote the game. It was mind-blowing. So good. Yeah, had such a good time with that. So it's basically a podcast. It ended up being a podcast about even though I was stressed and worried about like trying to be as good as someone like James D'Amato, you know, or, you know, or Jim McClure on talking tabletop or just any of these others, right. The RPG Academy, the D the DMS block, the, the, the total party throw cast, you guys, like you guys that everybody's got experience doing podcasts. I had none of that just experience listening, right. I was an armchair, you know, podcast person. So I think that pushed to, to answer your question. I think that pushed my, my envelope, right? By participating and finding something I was excited about. But I had, I had done some of the work as far as I'm pretty supportive of the community. And so when I said, hey, I'm interested in doing this thing, there were a lot of skilled, knowledgeable people who um, appreciated my support of them to be able to come up and say, dude, you supported us. We would love to support you. I could not have done this podcast without Caleb. Caleb worked his tail off to do two episodes a week editing in addition to his full-time job, in addition to the RPG Academy. And then um, when he changed his job into the second season, we found a fantastic co-host. Emily Booz is my second season co-host, and she is incredible. She's running social media for us in addition to doing stuff for the podcast, and she's been on other podcasts now. Um, Neil Powell from the Dungeon Masters Block is now our producer. He has come over and done fantastic editing, like... This uh, Masks actual play has got sound effects and music and like tight editing and it's amazing. But I can't do any, I don't have any of those skills. You know, I just talk. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but being part of a, a, a community, at least, you know, doing your best to be a supportive part of a community can really help it help you when you want to try to do something yourself. It's no guarantee. There's never a guarantee. You know, but again, I'm, I'm a big fan of telling people, look, if you want to do something in an industry, participate in the industry somehow, anyway, whatever it happens to be, whatever your skill sets happen to be, participate. Uh, Richard Kreutz Landry, who is now working with me that you just mentioned you had played masks with. He came over to my house for a for my birthday in June because um, he lives here in town along with Quinn Wilson. We all live in San Diego and J.M. Perkins, who's a fantastic, fantastic game designer and writer. So uh, JM was here and he was sitting on the couch with Richard 
And I was like, oh, this is good. I'm like, yeah, let's get you two in the same space and I'm just going to watch what happens. So Richard's sitting on the couch and he was like, well, you know, I don't know. Like, like Rich has this aquatic thing, right? He's got a marine biology degree and he's got something to say about a thing. And I just, I just do origami. Like, how do I get origami to become a game? About 20 minutes later, J.M. Perkins and Richard had created a game that uses origami as a mechanic. And it is stunning. You should go to, I think it's origamigaming.com and check out his stuff. He's got a little basic write-up of what they talked about. And it was the coolest thing in the world to sit and just great birthday present for me. Just watch a role-playing game being created in front of my eyes from two creative individuals with two different perspectives and skill sets working together to create a thing that they couldn't have done on their own. Unbelievable. I love it. All from inviting them over to to eat blackberry cobbler and get wired on sugar for my birthday and sticking them in the same room. That's awesome. It's funny because when, you know, talking about, you know, trying to figure out how a, how a podcast works because you're like, okay, you know, you want to do it. You want to do it the right way. Um, my advice to anybody listening, and, you know, you've, you've already dipped your toe in it, but, you know, just do it. Yep. You know, it's – I'm still learning. <laughs> As you can tell, yeah. there's a lot – there's a lot of episodes where I, you know – even the even the best planned episodes with the best editing, you will hear every once in a while someone will come on and say, "I apologize. We were at, we were at so and so. The audio is not as good, but you know, hopefully this will be to your liking." Yep. There'll also be other people that'll be like, "Okay, we had this episode in the can. It didn't work out. We had to scrap yep. it because it just didn't work out." You know, you just you have to go out there. You have to try because if you don't try, you're never gonna yep. know what's what's possible. Yeah. It's, it's a balancing act, right? So, I mean, there were things that I knew from talking from, from being friends with James D'Amato and, and, and the other podcasts that I know with, with Kat and with Caleb and with, you know, Neil and all these people I've, I've learned from their, their moments and their mistakes. So when I, when I was like, all right, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this, right. We're going to get original music, right? So we don't have to worry about copyright. We're going to have segments set up. We're going to know what we're doing when we walk into it. We're going to have an outline, but we don't need to stick necessarily to the outline like 100%, but the outline needs to be there as a, as a, as a, as a scaffold for us to keep ourselves on focus. I don't want to wander all over the world too much, right? Because I, I, I talk a lot, so I don't want to wander all over the world. This is my safety net. But in addition to that, we were like, we need to have more than one episode. We're not doing weekly episodes here. And we have an advantage that we're not necessarily, most of our episodes are not necessarily um, a topical in the moment episode. So Caleb and I could sit down and we could bust out three or four review episodes in one sitting. Right. So we'd get five or six hours of recording time and bust out four and a half, five hours of recording. And because these episodes aired in 2010, 2011, 2012, right? So we can do those all in one sitting. And then our bonus episodes are things like discussion sessions, which are um, interviews with, like I said, like Quinn Wilson on linguistics and that kind of thing, or me talking about the secret origins behind each of these characters from the comics and how they adapted them and that kind of stuff. All of this stuff could be done ahead of time, and it didn't have to be a week by week, oh, I need to do like a Kickstarter. Like you had an interview with James D'Amato, which was fantastic, talking about his Kickstarter. Well, that's topical. That's timely. You need to time that in a particular way, right? And we had the advantage of not having to do that. So I was like, great, let's put you know a dozen episodes in the can ready to be edited. And I'm glad we did because immediately after that, both Caleb and I had like three months of nightmarish life 
and we would have our podcast would have pod faded right off the bat if we hadn't had that material and if Caleb hadn't have worked his patootie off to edit those those episodes and get them up um, appropriately but you're talking about like we've gotten way better you're always going to get better I do not like our first episode very much at all I cannot go back and re-listen to it yet we have so many people like I've listened to your first couple of episodes and that first episode was great and I absolutely loved it. And I'm like, really? But it's because it's because I have a vision of what I wanted it to be, which is what the podcast ended up being by episode four or five, six, right? Where we had tightened things up a little bit and figured out our dynamic and fixed our outline so we knew who was saying what when. But in that first episode, we had our outline, but it was just, it was it wasn't tightened up yet. But that's okay. You just do it and you... You keep doing it because no matter what you think you're doing from the very first episode, you might hit the ground running well in your first episode. No matter what you do, you're always going to keep improving. And then you're going to look back on that thing you did once you have experience and maybe not think it's as good as it was when you first did it. And that's okay. It's all relative. Um, I will say that your first episode was really good. And if you want to hear a bad first episode, listen to ours. Cause <laughs> <laughs> well, Cause... you know, I was I was stressed about it. And I talked to DM Mitch from the Dungeon Masters block. And he's like, he, he was funny. He just kind of rolled his eyes at me. I think I was, I was, it was a guest spot I was doing on the show. So I had him on video and he just rolled his eyes at me. He's like, Rich, Chris and I did our first episode recording both of us in the same room on an iPhone. He's like, you're already way ahead of that. You've got separate mics, separate tracks. You have somebody who knows how to edit. You've got original music. You've got episodes in the can. He's like, you need to just let it go, right? (laughs) Just, dude, just let it go. It's going to be just fine. But I was freaking out. But that's the thing. Like, we, no matter what creative industry you're in, you're, you're hopefully you're always thinking you're not doing good enough because that drives you forward to improve yourself, whatever that happens to be. You do need to make sure that doesn't kill you creatively, though. You don't need to don't you need to learn to get out of your own way and allow yourself to put out things that you think are less quality than you think they should be sometimes, because otherwise you'll keep working on it until you die and never release anything, right? It's super important, and that goes with writing of every kind, including gaming, game writing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's like. Obviously, like if you're, if you're GMing, if you're writing online, if you have a podcast, if you have one person paying attention to that, it's enough. You know, I mm-hmm. I remember back to the days when we first started. I said, if I just get one, if I can just look up my stats and I can see one person is listening to us babble on, then it's well worth it, you know? And it's not, not that, you know, not that I didn't eventually strive to do better, which I still do. You know, it's sometimes you have to think, okay, obviously you're doing it for a reason. There are people that are interested in it for a reason. So, you know, you don't have to, you know, you can strive to be better, but you don't have to lie awake at bed at night and wonder what you did wrong, you know, especially if it's already in the can. And it, but and, and it's one of those things, particularly in, in podcasting, but you create a thing and you put it out there. And this is the other half of what I do in my life, which is I try to be a try to be I constantly try to be a better fan to the things that I love. I have spent I've definitely spent time in my history being angry at online about things that I hate. And I don't know when it happened, but at some point I realized I'm spending a lot of energy on things that I don't like 
instead of spending all of that energy on supporting the things I do like so I could get more of that. It was like a light switch went on. <laughs> so so when I, and, and that actually helped me because when I started listening to actual play podcasts and listening to podcasts like the One Shot Network and that kind of thing, I would tell them, you know, and what I, I'm, I'm well known for my enthusiasm in the industry and in life, but sometimes that enthusiasm, people feel like it's, it's hyperbolic or it's just too over the top. It can't be real. Um, it's absolutely real, but I understand that people aren't used to the level of excitement that I have about things because they don't have it in their life or, or they just don't relate to that because it's just not their personality type. And that's perfectly fine. So what I had to do was figure out how do I not rein myself in, but how do I make it clear, you know, why I love a thing? So, so what I did was, is I, I used my, my writing analytical skills and what, what I have as my own skills and say, look, if I'm going to compliment someone, I can say, hey, this podcast is amazing. Thank you for making it. That's great. People love that, right? But if I can say, this is specifically the reason why I love your podcast. This is what's working for me, right? I love your podcast. I'm excited about the One Shot Podcast you know, network because the quality of your sound is fantastic or the guests you have on are really getting to me or this particular guest doing a thing or this how you format things out or if I'm specific about what those things are then not only do they feel like oh he's not just through the roof excited just to be excited right he's he's there's a very specific reason why and he's telling me what that is and telling somebody what doesn't work is certainly helpful constructive criticism is helpful about what doesn't work but I think there's a little there's too little um, constructive encouragement in the world. There's a lot of constructive criticism. Constructive encouragement works well, which is, oh, this works, this works, this works, this works, this works, this one thing, I think you can improve on that, can often be received better than if you just say, this one thing needs improving, and they think, uh, okay, but does anything else? <laughs> it, it, I mean... Are you just not saying anything about anything? Like, what what works, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure where we started from that point, but I guess it's about about being being a better fan, right? So that's the other thing about being a better fan, and, and the Young Justice Files is one of those things as well, which is me being a better fan, which is saying, look, look at the look at the thing that they did right. And if you listen to the ep listen to the episodes, there are definitely a couple of episodes that are misses for me. And I talk about what works, what doesn't work, and why. And I think that grounds my enthusiasm, I hope. Because when I tell you that something doesn't work and I tell you why it doesn't work and why it doesn't doesn't land with me, hopefully that makes you trust me a little more when I'm telling you what does work and why it works and what does land with me, you know? And I think uh uh, deserves praise for for the amount of work it does for the writers for the animators for the producers for everything this one thing that you you and Caleb are uh, dedicated to do for this show that only had two seasons eventually is going to have more but mm -hmm. um, you know the fact that you're not only going into and going oh I like it or I hate it you know you're you're delving into the nuances of everything about it. You know, and that says a lot about being a great fan instead of just going, I, what I just said, basically, just I hate it, I love it. You know, you're you're taking every single little thing and you're kind of taking a spotlight to it, taking a microscope to it and saying, 
You know, this is exactly why I love this. I'm not just watching it to watch it. I'm not just doing this podcast to get the attention of Weissman or anyone else that's worked on it. You know, Weissman, I'm sorry. I don't know if I said it right. I, I tell you, one of the one of the best compliments I've gotten on the show was actually when we had Crispin Freeman on. Because um, Crispin Freeman doesn't really do interviews. <laughs> nice. So um, it turns out... It turns out that my superpower is knowing people, uh, apparently. <laughs> so I was talking about working on the show in the six months we were prepping for the Young Justice Files, and a friend of mine messaged me, and he says, hey, it's amazing how many people you know that work on that show. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, oh, Crispin Freeman. And I'm like, I don't, what, what in the world makes you think that I know Crispin Freeman? I don't know Crispin Freeman. And then another friend chimed in to the, it was a conversation on Facebook, I think. She chimed in. She's like, dude, you were at my wedding with him. And I'm like, what is <laughs> happening right now? And she just started sending me pictures with Crispin and me at the same wedding. And then it turns out I have a picture, a completely unrelated to the wedding picture of both of us at a mutual friend's house. And he's in the background of the shot. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what my life is right now. This is bizarre. And so... <laughs> So that that first friend who had mentioned that to me turns out he works with Crispin Freeman on his um, voice acting mastery podcast. And so I said, hey, can you ask him? I don't know what the protocol is here. Can you please ask him how I can professionally and appropriately ask him to come on the show? Do I need to talk to his agent? Do I need to just shoot him an email? Like, what? What? How does this work? I, I want to do it respectfully and appropriately. And he said, I'll, I'll ask him. And so he, he asked him and he said, well, you know, he doesn't do interviews very often, but I mentioned the show to him and he'll get back to you at some point. And I said, okay, great. So like, I don't know, four months later or something, it was a long time went by. And, um, that same mutual friend messaged me and he said, Hey, Crispin heard the, sh- heard your show. He'd like to come on. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Thanks. And so I got in touch with him. We chatted back and forth about a time. And he wanted to come on, but he wanted to rewatch Young Justice from beginning to end all in in one sitting. And it took him a while to like get through everything, right, before we could get him on the show. And then when I was on the show with him, he he says this on the show. He said, he said, you know, well, he told me before the show, he said he doesn't he didn't really want to come on a podcast that was just kind of a flash in the pan. This is the hottest thing happening right now kind of a podcast. And he said, then I listened to your podcast and your podcast was something else. It was something about approaching it from the perspective of a creator. And he said this really interesting thing about, um, artists, artists, oh gosh, how do I'm going to mangle it now? Artists appreciate the art in themselves more than the art in the world and fans appreciate the art in the world more than the art in themselves so like fans want to cosplay up and luxuriate in the art right but they may not think they have anything of themselves to offer the art do you know what i mean and so he said by listening to the podcast and having us talk about it and analyzing it from the perspective of a creator and how we can use the things that excite us to motivate us to create more right means that if I can if I as a as a podcaster can encourage other people to do more art with the things that they're excited about that means I get to see more cool art right so it's a little bit selfish but the fact that he complimented us by coming on the show um because of those reasons that we were doing something maybe a little bit different was was huge 
you know, for me. And that, that showed that I, I felt like I was hitting the nail that I wanted with being a good fan and encouraging not just the creators of the show, but everyone who listens to the show as well. We have a segment called Fan Service where we focus on fan art and fan uh, animated music videos and things that the fans are doing to support the show. And so we use our show to give a voice to people who may not have their art, you know, reach out there to other people just because they can't find it because the internet's so flooded. You know, that kind of thing is that kind of thing is important to me. Being a better fan and, and helping other people who are good fans, you know, be supported. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think I don't think that's selfish at all. You know, to see more and more and more stuff is cool for you because you get to see it, but it's also amazing for them because then they have the inspiration to create it yeah that's my hope yeah 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 that's awesome well i think we've talked about plenty i don't even i don't even know (laughs) what where i could go from here you're gonna have to come on again (laughs) because i know i'm gonna think of something that we had that we didn't talk about that i'm gonna want to talk about because as soon as i edit i'm gonna be like there's something there something there something there (laughs) Well, take take notes, and I'd be happy to come back on. We can chat some more. Awesome, that sounds great. <laughs> um, so, in, instead of me butchering, trying to say everything that you've done and where you can go to find <laughs> everything that you've done, why don't you just tell everybody where they can find some of your work? Sure, no problem. Um, from my gaming work, if you're interested in the aquatic campaign stuff, you can go to tribality.com. That's an any nominated. Actually, they're up for an any this year. Actually, any is being voted on right now. You can vote for masks for best family game. You can vote for tribality for best website. Um, please go do that. The tribality team are amazing, amazing. So um, you can go there. I have two columns there. Uh, one's called From the Depths. The other one is called The Game Room. And we, I talk a lot about aquatic gaming. You can pop over, as I said, to the uh, Don't Split the Podcast Network. Their first actual play that they aired was actually an all-aquatic game that I ran. And you can get an idea of kind of me putting my money where my mouth is on uh, running aquatic 5th edition games. You can check that out. Um, of course, you can also find me at the YJ Files on Twitter uh, or www.com crashing the mode that's m-o-d-e.com if you've seen this show the second season of the show you'll know what that means uh the website www.crashingthemode.com um look us up on itunes whelmed the young justice files um if you're interested in some of my other fifth edition work you can go to drive through rpg and you can just put in my name rich howard and you can see a whole page of stuff that i've done for rogue genius games the uh, tribality as well tribality publishing with the alchemist for 5e which i'm very proud of um, and other work there. And of course, you can always just email me, get a hold of me on Twitter at Umbral Walker, U M B R A L W A L K E R. If you go to at the YJ Files, which is much easier to remember, there's a link there. You can just pop over there to me. And I will be at Gen Con as well. Um, the, I'm honored to say that uh, the Young Justice Files and God's Fall are both going to be guests of One Shot RPG for their Saturday night gathering at Gen Con. So if you want to come by and say hi to me or have any questions about aquatic gaming or DC comics or animation, you can just pop over there on Saturday night and say hi to us there. Cool. And I will do that because I'm going and I can't wait to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Never, and Neil Powell, our producer, Neil Powell, our producer and, and uh, from the Dungeon Masters block and Gymnastics, he'll be there with me as well. Oh, awesome. That's phenomenal. Also, you have a Patreon too. Go, go support Rich on Patreon because, I mean, with all of these things he has going on, 
He needs money. He needs money to get, <laughs> keep that going. Thanks. Even if it's a buck, throw in a buck. Come on, people. You can you can afford a dollar. I appreciate that. So pretty soon, my 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 gaming Patreon unfortunately has been a little quiet. We've had some PDFs uh, PDFs trickle out. I unfortunately I had some PDFs that were supposed to go out last month that I found out did not. So um, every month I try to get at least one PDF product of something that I have produced out to my Patreon backers. But fairly soon I'm going to have things organized and I'm going to be having my Patreon backers um, doing some play tests and getting to see some early early work on the Descent into, Descent into Midnight um, role-playing game that I mentioned earlier, the Power by the Apocalypse game as well. If you want to learn more about that, you on Twitter you can go to at D-I-M-R-P-G, that's at D-I-M-R-P-G. On uh, on Twitter, and you can see some already some of the um, concept art that we had commissioned so far for the game, and check it out there. Yep, and it's going to be great because it's got it's going to have Rich and Taylor's and Richard's stamp on it, so it's going to be awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, oh, it was a blast. Uh, this is this is the longest I've talked to somebody in a long time, and it's it's good to it's good to talk for a while because usually it's like. Um, let's talk about this. Oh, wait, I gotta go. See ya. You know, it's like, oh, but I, I wanted to talk to you about something else. <laughs> well, you can thank my wife because she went to go get the kids for me. So Yes, definitely. Perfect. Thank you, Miss How- Miss Howard. You're the best. <laughs> yep, so for Rich Howard, I'm Kurt, and this was the MFG Cast. Legends of Tabletop Podcast. Creating legends one die at a time.